Amen. Amen. Well, uh, church, it is good to see you. We had a great turnout at the park this morning. Uh, for those that are watching us at home, we're, we're meeting three ways. And so we have a park service at the park on Main Street Veterans Memorial. Uh, we meet at uh, 8 a.m. there at the park, and, and you bring your own chair, and you sit outdoors. You don't have to wear a mask. Uh, we practice social distancing, and then uh, we meet here at 10 a.m. in person now, uh, where we wear our mask during the service, and we practice social distancing. And then, of course, if you guys are not um, ready for either of those options, you watch us at home. And uh, so here's what we're doing. This is really cool, guys. We're jumping into this new series called The Real God. And what I'm going to ask you to do, if you haven't done it already, um, we're going to ask you to take a moment and scan our sermon notes. Um, They're super, super helpful. We're going to put that full screen for you. And if you haven't already done that, if you're here in person, if you're at home, just point your uh, smartphone towards that uh, image and it should pop up a little link. Click on that. That'll open up sermon notes. I'm going to pray for us. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word. And which is good. We know that it's alive, that it's active, that it's sharper than a double-edged sword. Um, we, we know that it is for our benefit, that it's useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. We might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And, and Father, um, that's, that's what we, we want to be equipped. Holy Spirit, we want to recognize your role. The Bible says that you are our teacher and our guide, that Jesus has sent you to come and to teach us the ways of God from the inside out. And so we ask that you'd come take your proper place in our church as the teacher of our church. Pray that you would lift up and exalt Jesus Christ, that we might see him clearly and that we might want him more than anything else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 All right, so uh, I said I, I wasn't going to do this, but this is my, my look that my professors used to give me when they would put their readers on the end of their nose. Uh, and evidently, I can't read anymore without these things. And so uh, that's, that's what we're doing. So uh, when, I, when I need them, you're going to see them on the nose. That's just how it's going to work, okay? Deal with it. Uh, I am. I am. So you have to, too. So, uh, guys, last week we began um, this study called The Real God, and, and kind of week one, this is a church-wide study, and we're doing all kinds of things. We, we've asked you, if you don't mind, uh, you can purchase a book to read along. Uh, last week was a lot, because you read three chapters. This week is just one. It's just chapter four this week. It's not that bad. Um, but we're also asking you to participate in, uh, in Bible studies. So if, if you're a member of the church, you've gotten access to Right Now Media. Uh, if you don't have it, you need to contact us. If you're not a member, we'll give you access to Right Now Media. Drop uh, us a line, and uh, we'll get in touch with you, and we'll give that to you. And uh, the whole point is, is that all throughout the week, we're going to be learning uh, these deeper thoughts about God. And so last week, we began this study called The Real God, and we started with, with a domino, right? And we started about the, the, the power, the potential energy in, in just a domino, right? The, the, the domino has that potential energy to, to just, like, double in size, basically. And so, uh, so one domino, if it weighed a pound, it could knock down two pounds, right? And then that domino could knock down four pounds. That domino could then knock down uh, eight pounds. And, and we just go on and on and on. And it's awesome. And so and we kind of talked about that. And, and so we talked about that in the spiritual view was, was, was simple, was just that this, if, if that's kind of how life works, Imagine if we have a wrong thought about God, and shared with you a quote from A.W. Tozer says that what we think about God is the most important thing about us. So if our first domino is a wrong view of God, that has the potential to cause all kinds of problems in our life, which our testimony is that it has done those things. And so instead, what we want to do is get, get right concepts, right truths about God. So starting this week, uh, we, we've hopefully done out with the old. We're going to go in with the new, and we're going to study uh, who this God reveals himself to be. Right? We're not going to make it up. What does Scripture say? And so this morning, uh, the, the first kind of topic, what we're going to study really all week, is the goodness of God. And, and I'm going to start this week by, by just 
you're going to get a sliver of the goodness of God this morning. And then again, the rest of it's meant for you to read and to participate in online Bible study. And, and we're going to build on our thoughts about the goodness of God. We're going to do that all throughout the week, okay? So that's where we're headed. So this morning, uh, I have three things for you. And those three things, again, are just a sliver of, of what I want you to eventually this week come to understand about the goodness of God. And uh, here's the first thing, guys. I want you to understand that because God is good, he wants to change your life. Because God is, is good, He wants to change your life. And, and I want you to hear me. Um, we're not good. Okay? Guys, I, I mean, we like to think that we are. We like to think that other people are good. But, but the Bible's very clear in this. There is no inerrant goodness in us. There's just not. Right? In fact, the Bible says that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And, and so there's, there's not any goodness in us. And so when I say that, that, that God wants to change us, I want you to understand this. That God doesn't want to change you because of something that you are. He wants to change you because of something that He is. Right? Because He is good. In fact, Psalm 145, uh, verse 9, says, it says, the Lord is good to everyone, right? The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that He has, has made. And, and so, so God, out of His goodness, right? God, out of His goodness, in spite of our moral badness, actually, we call that sin. Uh, so God, out of His goodness, in spite of our moral badness, actually comes to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. And, and He comes to us in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ, and He does so in order to save us, right? But then He doesn't stop there. He, he then begins to transform us into this image of His Son, Jesus, right? And, 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 and ultimately, the goal is that we would look so much like Jesus that we would experience all the fullness and the blessings of God, right? That's God's goal for our life. That's his design. Paul writes it this way, Romans 5.8. He says, but God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, that's morally bad, Christ died for us because God is good. Right? 1 John 4.10, John writes, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so this is a God-initiated grace-filled change. And it is all based out of the goodness of God, not out of anything that we possess, right? And, and, and listen, here's the, the beauty about, about Jesus. This is God's plan who sought us out to save us and then ultimately to change us. Is that Jesus loves you so much that He will meet you wherever you are, but He loves you too much to leave you there. Isn't that awesome? I mean, that's the, that's the story of, of, you remember the story about Jesus and Peter? Peter denies Jesus three times, and Jesus seeks him out after being denied three times. The rooster crows, Peter goes back to fishing, uh, instead of being a fisher of men, he's just a fisherman again. And, and Jesus meets him on the shore, and he says, Peter, do you love me? Right? And, and do, do you love me? He said, Peter, do you agape me is the Greek word. That's the love of God. It's a committed love. And Peter says, Lord, you know that I love you. He says, phileo. I, you know that I, I emotionally love you. I'm passionate about the things uh, that you're about. And, 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 and so Jesus says, no, no, Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me? And, and Peter says, you know that I, I, I phileo you. Uh, you know that I, I passionately love you. And, and then so finally Jesus says, okay, Peter, do you passionately love me? Do you phileo me? And Peter says, Lord, you know know that I phileo you. You know that I passionately love you. And Jesus said, okay, then, then let's start here. And you go feed my lambs. 
See, Jesus will meet you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He wants to bring about change in your life. So that's the first thing that I want you to see. Because God is good, he wants to change your life. Now that brings us to the second point. This spiritual metamorphosis is not a one-time event. It's a process. This spiritual metamorphosis is, is a process. Now, I, I use that word metamorphosis on purpose because it's a biblical concept. In, in the book of Romans chapter 12, uh, the Apostle Paul writes, he says, don't be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God is. And, and so the Greek word there, uh, transformed, I've got it on the screen for you, kind of in blue, uh, that, that Greek word transformed, it's metamorpho. It's metamorpho, that's what it is. It's where we get our, our term metamorphosis. And we think about metamorphosis, I don't know about you guys, I think about caterpillars, caterpillars, and they, they go in a little chrysalis, and they come out in a beautiful butterfly, right? There's, there's no change more magnificent than a little thing you want to squash coming out with beautiful wings, right? A little disgusting thing, it looks like a worm, and then it just, oh, I'm so beautiful. Um, I think that's how butterflies talk. Um, and, and listen, what, what, I'm, what I'm here to tell you is that that's what God wants to do in your life too, but it is, it is a process. And it is a process. So I'm going to go over three uh, really big theological terms that explain this process. But um, as I go about these terms, before I get there, I, I want to tell you kind of the way I explain them. Okay, so here's the common language. Is that this is what God wants to do in your life. First, He wants you to bring you from death to life. Okay? Then He wants to bring you from, from a place that you're alive to where you're really living. And then He wants to bring you from a place where you're really living to your thriving. All right? And so here's the three theological terms for this. The first one is justification. Justification. So guys, justification, uh, and, and it's there on your screen. Uh, I, when you think of that word, I want you to think of spiritual birth. I want you to think of spiritual birth. When you think of justification, think about spiritual birth. Uh, in John chapter 3, a man named Nicodemus comes to Jesus uh, in, in the cover of night, and he says, hey teacher, what, what do I have to do to inherit the kingdom of God? Right? What, what do I need to do to inherit the, the kingdom of God? And Jesus says to him, hey, Nicodemus, here's what you got to do, okay? You have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what? i got to be what? And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. You must be born of the Spirit of God. You have to be born again. So, so here's kind of how that transpires. We're kind of thinking through this. And so, so what that means is that God, uh, the Bible says that nobody can come to God without God calling them to himself. So nobody saves themselves. Nobody just spiritually awakens themselves. That's, that's impossible. That flies in the face of Scripture. So that's not how it works. Instead, what happens is that God begins to, uh, uh, some people use the term woo. God begins to woo us to Himself. He begins to put something in our heart where we have a longing. We realize we have a hole in our life. We have a longing for the things of God. He begins to convict us of sin and shortfalling and the fact that we need a Savior. And, and when that happens, at, at some point, the Holy Spirit gets us to a point where we realize that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, that He has come, He has died on a cross for our sins, and that we need saving. And what happens is we, we through faith... We believe in Him, and through faith, the Bible says that uh, we, we're saved. And that happens because we surrender our life to Christ. We surrender, and we're saved. Now, at that moment, this is a moment thing. At that moment, the Bible says that God does something in His heavenly record book. Okay? 
God at that moment when we surrender our lives unto Christ, in, in His heavenly records, He justifies us. And this is kind of a legal term. Okay? And, and, and what He does is, is He looks at you, who the Bible says is a sinner, and says the wages of that sin are, is death, and, and so you, you, you're dead, but He needs to bring you to life. So he has to do something with your sin. So he has to remove that sin. The problem is the sin has to go somewhere. It can't magically disappear. And so God removes that sin from your record and he places it into the record of his perfect son, Jesus Christ. And, and so when we hear the word justification, a lot of times we think of just as if I'd never sinned. Now my account has no sin in it. That's great, okay? But if God stopped there, that'd only be half our problem. Because we don't just need to be without sin, we also have to be righteous. And we've got to have something in that positive column. So, so, so then God does another amazing thing, transaction in his record keeping, is that he actually takes the righteousness of Jesus and he places that in our record, right? He places that in our record. It's called imputed. So God imputes unto us the righteousness of his son Jesus. So now uh, we are forever. Uh, our, our sin has been removed forever. And, and, and the righteousness of Jesus is given to us forever. And, and that is called justification. It's magnificent. Amen? Hey, isn't that awesome? Anybody, come on, look. Hand clap for the Lord and justification. Thank you, Jesus. That's good. That's, you two at home, y'all got y'all to gotta clap for Jesus. Like, that's really good. So that's step one. But that's just the beginning of the process. Now step two is, is what we call sanctification. Sanctification. Now, sanctification, the word sanctify, it just means to be separate. It means to be sacred. Uh, this is not a moment, but rather this is a, a process that happens throughout your life. I think the Apostle Paul best sums it up, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse uh, 18. He says this, he says, We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. And get this, and, and as we do that, as we're looking at a mirror at the glory of the Lord, listen, we are being transformed into the same image from, from glory to glory, right? And so Paul says, listen, this is it, man. Once we come to know Christ, here, here's what happens. We come to know Christ, and then as we gaze upon Christ, as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as, as the Bible instructs us to do, as we fix our eyes on Jesus and He is our gaze, get this, that image of Jesus, we start to become more and more like that image. Isn't that awesome? awesome. So, so we're, we're saved. That's a justification. As we follow Christ, we're, we, we, we begin to be changed into the image that we see, that we fix our eyes upon. That's called sanctification. And ultimately, that leads to this thing called glorification. Glorification. Uh, and when you think of glorification, I want you to think of spiritual maturity. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 48, Jesus says this. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that word perfect, uh, it can mean perfect, but it also means uh, to be brought to its end. It means to be complete. Specifically, it means to be mature. To be mature. James writes about this in, in chapter 1 of his epistle. He writes, uh, Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. And friends, what I'm here to tell you this morning is that is God's goal for your life, to be lacking nothing. In fact, Jesus in John chapter 10 says he wants you to have an overflowing life, an abundant life. Not just where you lack nothing, but where it's spilling over the top. But the only way that happens 
is for you to be transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. That is the only time we, we, we receive all of those blessings and, 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 and we learn to discern what God's good and pleasing will is. And, and so, uh, th- those are the first two points, guys. Because God is good, He wants to change our life. Uh, that, that, that metamorphosis, that change is a process. It's not a moment. And, and I don't have a problem with those first two points. Here's the one I don't like personally. But it's true. All right? Here's the third thing I want you to see this morning. Is that we often resist God's desire for change. Right? So God's good and He wants to change us. That change is a process, but we often resist God's desire for change. And, and, and this is, this is our, our story, right? Anybody else testify to this? Uh, you read about the great transformations of God in Scripture, and then you wake up, and you look in the mirror, and you kind of wonder, is that it? Right? Anybody else? Just me? I'm the only one that thought that? Nobody, I, had, I had a little more interaction at the park this morning. Come on, come on. I can see you now. I've taken off the, the readers. How many people have thought this? You, you've read about Scripture. You read about the great change. And, they got, and then you look in the mirror and you go, am I missing something? Right? Come on, show hands. Right? Right? I, we can have you zoom out if we need to. I can get your hands on camera. Uh, right? Yes! This is our story. In fact, listen, I'm going to tell you that the majority of Christians... Uh, get frustrated when it comes to the thought and the topic of transformation. And the reason for that is because when we look in our, 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 the, the mirror, when we take a hard look at our lives, we don't see a lot of transformation. And, and so here's what I want to submit to you. I, I think there's three reasons why we don't see the kind of transformation that we should. All right? And here's the first, guys. Uh, the first reason we don't see the type of spiritual transformation we should is, is because of, of what Chip Ingram... This is Chip Ingram's word, not, not Jason Huddleston's word. Okay? Because J, Chip Ingram calls spiritual ignorance. Spiritual ignorance. And, and the problem is, is really just a lack of knowledge, guys. There are some people, some good, uh, well-meaning individuals that honestly think that God's goal for them is just to be saved, right? I, I mean, as, as a church in, in America, we've kind of kind of whittled this down to our mission as a church, is just to get people saved. Although Jesus said, go make disciples, we have a tendency to think, well, I, just evangelism. If I get them saved, I'm, I'm good. But, but, but God's plan doesn't stop with getting you into heaven, right? In fact, God's plan is that you would be transformed, right? He wants to save you, but then He wants to come and live in you. And as He dwells in you, evermore His presence, He will begin to change your mind and your thoughts and your heart. You'll love differently, you'll live differently, and eventually you start to look like Jesus so that when you're around people and you leave the room, they're literally like, man, it feels like we were just on holy ground, right? Maybe, maybe I should take off my, my shoes. That's the kind of person I want to be. Man, I want to be the kind of person that, that when I'm in somebody else's presence, that they just sense the peace of God and, and the joy of God and the assurance of God. Like That's the kind of people we're called to be. I, I think that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about the aroma of Christ just wafting over people. And so guys, that's, that's what God longs to do. He, he wants to change us. One of the reasons that doesn't happen, I believe, is because of spiritual Ignorance because we don't understand that God's goal is transformation. We think it's just salvation. Second reason I believe that we fail to see transformation is what we're going to call spiritual isolation. Spiritual isolation. And the problem here is is pride and self-sufficiency. Right? And so listen, God... uh, is good, and, and out of His goodness, He wants to change your life. He wants to transform you. But that transformation is always meant to happen in community. Always. 
God, God never intended to change you just on an island by yourself. That's why Jesus came to establish the church. And the Bible says that iron sharpens iron. Right? It, it says that we shouldn't forsake the assembly of believers. And, and guys, I know we're assembling in all kinds of different ways. I'm going to speak to my home audience right here. But by the way, the doors are open. When you're ready, we're ready. Okay? We're wearing masks, socially distant at the park, socially distance, no masks there. Like you, you figure it out, but man, you need community. Right? We need community because iron sharpens iron. And, and, and so, so, so we gather, and, uh, and, and, and that change, that has to happen in community. And here's why. Uh, and, and we'll just do a little test. How many of you have ever, uh, beginning in a January period, decided you were either going to go on a diet or get a gym membership or work out? Any of those kind of things? Okay, uh, how many of you, keep your hands up for a second, uh, if you did that while asking somebody to hold you completely accountable to that, you did it with another group of people, then you can keep your hand up. If you did it all by yourself, just put your hand down, okay, okay, did it with a group of people, worked decent in the group, right, okay, for all of you that already put your hands down, how did it work out? It's not always so great, right? You know why? Because change happens best in community. Right? Because iron sharpens iron, we need that. It brings me to the third point, uh, third reason that we, we fail to transform, and uh, we're going to call it spiritual myopia. Okay? Spiritual myopia, that, that's when you, you only see what's in front of your face. And so the problem is consumer, uh, the consumer mindset we have and the fact that we're focused on self. See, many of us think that the purpose of Christianity uh, really is, is that God has just come to, to make me happy. I mean, American Christians, I'm just going to be honest. Like, I mean, that's it. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to pray. I'll read my Bible a little bit. But God, here's what you got to do for me. you got to bless me. Finances got to be good. Marriage got to be good. My kids got to behave. Right? That's a big one. My job situation always got to be, you know, soft. Like, and we just kind of walk through all these things. And we think that God exists just to bless our life. And so that's, that's, that's right here kind of faith. It's right in front of your face. And, and so what happens, you, you fail to see the big picture. That God is actively working to redeem all of creation, not just your creation, right? He's actually working to restore all things and hold all things together. And so God is always active, always at work. And what we fail to realize is that sometimes this God that's over everything needs us to go through some hard things so that we can look more like His Son Jesus because the goal is transformation, not just salvation. All right? And how does James say we get that transformation? Through trials and struggles. This is why we start learning to rejoice in our trials because those things make us ultimately rely on Jesus more. The more we rely on Jesus, the more we look like Him. The more we look like Him, the better it is. All right? The better it is. All right? And so uh, we, we struggle with that. So, so what do we do? I'm going to just give you some homework, and we are going to be done. And we need to be wrapping up. So three things. Uh, we have three problems. Here's three solutions. Ready? Number one, I think we need to discover our new identity. We need to discover our new identity. And uh, this is all about Scripture. I want you to dig in. And this whole study is, is God as He longs for you to see Him. How does God want you to see Him? Well, God's told you how to see Him. He's revealed Himself in His Word. And so what does God's Word say about your spiritual identity? Right? Because, because some of us, the, the problem why we haven't transformed is spiritual ignorance. We don't know who God wants us to be. So, so what does the Bible say? I think a great chapter to read this week, guys, would be Ephesians chapter 2. 
And just read Ephesians 2. Read it every day this week if that's what you need to do. And it is the whole story about how, how Jesus has come and He has come to de- take dead people and, and to bring them to life. To take people that were far away and to bring them near. To pe- take people that were low down and to raise them up. To take people that were enemies of God and to make them children of God. And you just got to read that chapter over and over and over again and go, okay, listen, this is what God wants to do in my life. Man, He wants to change me. He wants to transform me. Second thing, guys, is, is, is it's time. We've got to start doing life in community. You, you're missing transformation. It is, it, it, there's a good chance it's because you're not living and walking in community. I know what some of you are thinking. Well, hello, Corona. Corona, a little hard to have community. I've got to wear a mask in church. People can't even see if I'm smiling or not. Like, I get it, right? But listen, I love you. We've been doing it for six months. It's time to stop making excuses. Man, you can have community with a phone call. You can have community with three people sitting outdoors. In fact, I would tell you community is actually best not in a group of 15 or 20, what most of our small groups are, but it's actually best in a group of two or three. So just find a handful of people that you start to do life with. Trust those people and pour into those people and look at those people and say, man, I'm not right. And this six months has jacked me up. And I am ready. I need community and accountability in my life. My close-up camera is over here. Alright, you guys at home. Listen, we change all the cameras. It's take me a little while. I love you. And if you've got to stay on the couch for a little while longer, I understand. If it's for safety reasons, I got it. And if that's where you choose to worship, that's fine. But you better get on the phone. And get back in community. Because we need people so that we can be transformed into the image of Jesus. Alright? Third thing. Last thing of homework. We've got to get a high, holy view of God. We've got to get a high, holy view of God. And so guys, if, if you're thinking, man, what does God have for me? It's, it's, we're suffering from spiritual myopia. It's just all about my life. I, ask yourself this question. What is God doing right now? Right? Because you feel like he's not showing up and he's not handling your situation. It's just about you. But what is God doing right now? Because I'll tell you, the Bible says that God right now is in the process of setting all things right. That God right now is bringing all of his spiritual enemies underneath his feet. That God right now is making all things new. And by the way, right now he's still holding all things together. Right now, today, as we speak. And so if you have that low view of God, you kind of just, just kind of see in, like, man, it's about me, and I don't, I don't feel like I have it all. If that's kind of where you are right now. I just want to challenge you. And, and here, here's what you do. Ready? Read the book of Job. And, and if you want, to, you want to get to the part I'm talking about, is, is Job goes through some great loss. His friends come and basically try to say, Job, you've, you've messed up. It's all because of this. Right? Job does really well in his walk in faith up until a certain extent. And then finally he gives up and he starts to question God. And then when he questions God, God speaks back. And he says, okay, you're, you're man enough to talk to me? All right, let's talk. So he says, Job, gird up your loins, old man, for I'm about to talk to you. He's like, you better check yourself, make sure everything's still in its proper place, because boy, I'm going to shake your world. And then, and then he says, where were you when the earth was formed? Where were you when I called out every star by name? Where were you when I told the ocean it could only come this far? Where were you, oh man? And God, man, we don't want to have those conversations with God, do we? So how do we avoid that? Because I've got to be honest with you. You may say you don't want to have those conversations. We do it all the time. We say, God, where are you? My marriage is struggling. Where are you? Finances are tight. God, where are you? Don't you see me? 
And you know how you avoid those conversations? You figure out what God's doing. God is always, we sang it this morning, even when I don't see it, you're working. God is always working. He's always working for good. So go, go find that little chapter in Job and read that this week and read about what God is doing right now and, and, and trust in that. Friends, I'm going to close us in prayer and then we're going to dismiss our home audience. Thank you guys for joining us and then we'll dismiss you guys here in person. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so good. Help us to walk uh, out in community this week whether that's our Wednesday night Bible study groups for men and women, whether that's a phone call to somebody that we love, whether it's sitting with our family and, and being honest in our discussion as we work through our family discussion points this week, God. Uh, help us find that community that we need, Lord. Open our eyes to the truth that you don't want to save us. You want to transform us, right, God? And, and help us see the big picture. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. All God's people said, amen, amen. At home crew, we love you. God bless you. You are officially dismissed. We'll see you next week.